0: Welcome to this Guildhall School Event podcast. I'm Professor Helena Gaunt, Vice-Principal and Director of Academic Affairs at the School, and today I'm talking to Head of Voice Patsy Rodenberg about a forthcoming event, Education and Learning Through Ancient Wisdom, Humanity, Creativity and Embodiment, which will take place on the 9th of October at half past six in the evening in the Milton Court Concert Hall. Patsy. This event is going to bring you together with Ian McGilchrist to talk about where your work intersects and where you found a fascination with what each other are doing.
1: I'm afraid I stalked Ian because I read his book and it's a masterpiece, The Master and His Emissary, and I thought this man is saying things that in my inner being I've known for years and often you get tremendous flack for saying these things and i often say when i teach and i'll tell you what the thing is in a moment but i often say when i teach you know i can trace my exercises back for two and a half three thousand years mm. there's been a common journey about craft training of the body the breath the voice language connection to language And a lot of people that I work with, particularly non-artists, think it's rather mystical and rather... Of course, one tries to make it pragmatic, but that it's some odd thing. And then I read this brilliant man's book, and he says very clearly that what we do in terms of craft as artists is something that benefits the brain. It connects the brain. So the ancient wisdom, the wisdom from the Renaissance, the, the wisdom from the ancient Greeks, he understands and he comes from the classics before he became a doctor and a scientist. So he has a, a huge overview and it was very thrilling to sit with him and hear him say, well, we can prove that because when this happens to the brain, this happens. But fundamentally, when you really connect in a physical and embodied way with great texts, things happen to the brain that are truly remarkable. Mm. Connecting, I know this is a loose description, but the left and the right brain. Mm. The brain is being affected by the way you breathe, by the way you stand, and more importantly, whether you're present and attentive. So when I read that book, I stalked him. Mm. And I think he got interested in me because he thinks, and we'll find out on the 9th of October, that I, with great students and some classical text, can embody his work.
0: Mm. Can we just talk a little bit more about this idea of being attentive and attention as a whole? Because one of the things that he talks about a lot is the difference in attention of the left hemisphere and right hemisphere. Yes. So the left hemisphere being something that wants to, to grab, to own, to take control of, to understand. The right hemisphere being more about taking something in as a whole rather than being able to identify it. And fragment. And fragment. How does that resonate with your work with actors?
1: Well, the attention, I use a word about being present, and I have work on presence, and I'll do some of that on the 9th of October. But what I've been working with all my life is when you look at a classical text, and let's just take the Renaissance. Mm. The Renaissance was in balance. It understood that the left and the right brain should be in balance. Mm. And the way I look at it, and I'm a pragmatist you see there are forms in verse there are structures in verse be it the iambic be it the structure of thought sequential thought and that really is left brain Mm. so an actor has to be able to take a sequential journey to make sense of a great soliloquy Mm. or a speech or even a play you have to be able to go from A to B once upon a time there were three bears and you go on and then and they all lived happily ever after and that is a journey mm. which is left brain mm. so that is what a lot of people from university are taught to do mm. but simultaneously when we're talking about poetic writing mm. image metaphor the metaphor idea is very important because that that happens in the right brain of of being able to have empathy for something else. It's mm. about uh, something which is a wholeness, being able to stand, understand a wholeness. But uh, when you speak verse, you could just get interested in the form, which is that sequential thought, mm. and not realise that every word has to be met mm. fully in the breath, in the body, and in the mind and the heart. And the language of a great play, like Shakespeare's or plays or Euripides. The, the language explodes up and down through you. So you not only have to take the journey forward, mm. but you have to, every time you meet a word, you have to experience it on its fullest level. Mm. You know, Macbeth talks about tears drowning the wind. Mm. You can't just say, tears drown the wind, you You've got to understand tears and then drowning the wind. And of course, on one level, we know that's impossible. So if you're just left brain, you say, oh, no, tears can't drown the wind. But if you're connected to the other side of yourself, you realize that maybe tears can drown the wind. Mm. I always say to my students, you know, the the example that they often get is you go to the doctor and you say, my heart is broken. And they put the um, X-ray up and they say, no, it's not. But of course you know it's broken. So when I read Ian's book, I thought, my God, I think the structural thing that I work with in text is of that side of the brain, and, and the right side is this much more um, emotional connection to image and metaphor. Mm. And if you can put them together, you've got a great actor. I've known that for years. Mm. You know, I, I often say, you can go to the theatre... And you can understand everything that's going on, but you don't care. Mm. That's an actor that's only doing one thing. Mm. You can go to the theatre and think, my goodness, they're having a very interesting time up there, but I don't know what's going on. Yes, <laughs> you know. So, but the two coming together, and that's the balance. And then, as I started to talk to Ian, it got more and more exciting because, of course, every I talk about, we always have to teach where where we come from, mm. the time we live in, and the time we live in today is honouring the left brain more than the right. Mm. And if we lose that connection to the right, we lose our soul. Yes. We lose our soul. And so you get people looking at you, I work a lot in the corporate world, and they look at you as though you're mad when you say, but you've got to humanize what you say. Yes. You've got to tell us stories. You've got to connect emotionally. Mm. You will not be able to lead people just with speaking data. Mm. So... That's a very long answer, but my excitement is I think he is saying something so crucial to education Mm. and to the well-being of humanity Mm. that I stalked him. Mm.
0: So this is more than something that's just important for recognising what we're actually doing in the training of the artists of the future. This is about something much bigger.
1: Yes, but the, the artists of the future have to have... Humanity and that humanity, I think, mm-hmm. Ian can demonstrate with, with um, examples, is destroyed if we're not connected to our white brain. Mm.
0: And one thing he, he writes, I just picked out this little quote, which I love, is the illusion that if we can see something clearly, we see it as it really is is hugely seductive. Very and it is seductive, isn't, it, isn't it? it? In our it age. Is.
1: Yes, it is. But it's not about vision. It's about precise looking at something mm. rather than the overview. Yes. The, you know, what we see in the news every day is the despair that people who seem to think that they have the data think that they know what's good for us. Mm. So the, I think the repercussions are enormous. Yeah. And I think the repercussions now in education are huge because this connection, and again, I think it happened in the Renaissance, between and the balance between... We don't want to be out of balance. We don't want to be one way or the other. We want to be in, in balance. But in in the sense that if you go to countries that are very we, we honour because they seem to have such good educational qualities you know, mm. they, they seem to get all these children pass over so many hurdles about learning data and maths and they yearn our creativity mm. and our creativity is based somewhere in the Renaissance mm. Mm. and at this moment of time you can see places that don't have it yearning for what we've got at the moment that we are cutting that out of education. Mm. Because to educate in this way costs money. You can easily get results if you just seemingly train the the left brain. Mm. So in some of the major banks, they have to face the fact, and they are, some banks are, that they promoted people to positions of enormous power because they were fantastic left brain thinkers. And if you're a leader and you can't connect to your right brain, you are very dangerous. Mm. You are very dangerous. That perhaps that inability of not seeing that you don't promote somebody just because they make you a huge amount of money because they understand figures mm. and sequential thought, that, that they might not have empathy for somebody who they sell a subprime mortgaged. You know, I think so I mean I'm going I don't think I can go this far with Ian, but I, I do think part of our morality is embedded in great storytelling mm-hmm. and that includes the sequential journey of the story, but the emotional language of the story mm-hmm. and the and the detail of the story.
0: So on October the ninth mm-hmm. Ian's going to present some of his ideas. Yes about the left and right hemisphere and the balance between them and you're going to do some demonstrating.
1: well I'm going to we're, we're going to have a discussion in front of the audience and then I'm going to ask some third-year students to do bits of text and I'm going to see if we can show the audience what it's like when the body is aligned and present and available attentive. Mm. So that you're not just listening with your left brain, you're listening with your whole being. Mm. And you you should be able to see that and and see that presence. And then, what if we just speak a great speech from one point of view and then another point of view and see if we can put it together? Mm. So it's... um, Well, all creativity creativity is messy. Mm. So it might be messy, but it will be very interesting. (laughs) Brilliant.
0: And what texts do you think you're going to bring? Well...
1: I'm still thinking about it. It depends to a certain extent on the actors. Mm. But I'm very interested in doing sections of Hamlet because academics say that Hamlet is the ideal Renaissance man because he does see both sides. Mm. You know, on one level, by seeing both sides, he cannot act. So the balance of him and then his breakdown, his shattering of his... Brain and Ophelia talking about a, a noble mind being overthrown. Mm. You know that I think we might look at those. I'm not promising that, but I'm also going to look at some sonnets because they're very distilled and they're short, and I think you can get a lot out of them immediately. Yeah.
0: And the verse is so clear.
1: The verse is so clear. The sequence is so clear, and then the deep. connection to language, which is the emotional part of the work. The excavation of that is very clear.
0: Brilliant. We look forward to this event on October the 9th. And just a reminder to listeners that tickets can be booked for the event through the Barbican box office.